Good morning. My name is Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. And as Joanne and Adam have pointed out, we have 200 of our church family gathered at a campground worshiping the Lord this weekend. And it's been amazing to see the the growth that we've seen in that camping trip over the last five years. And I really believe it's based on the two-pronged strategy that we implemented here. First of all, giving more visibility to the camping trip earlier in the year and having me preach here on that weekend. (laughs) But I'm glad to do my part to help out. But while it's encouraging to see that many people gather and doing something together, I, I have to admit that camping is not the activity that I would have personally chosen. Because I see that whenever God sends his people away from their homes, it's not good. And so we can see through the, the Sinai desert, 40 years in the wilderness, we can see 70 years in exile in Babylon. God does not send people out who are faithful. Instead, he allows the faithful to remain. <laughs> and you are the remnant here today. And I also do not think that it's wise to participate in any event that includes five of the plagues that God sent onto the Egyptians. <laughs> but as you can tell, for Gene and I, camping just isn't our idea of a vacation. If we were going to go away from home, we would choose a place with electricity and running water because camping for us is just too intense. All right. So, so you guys are such a tough crowd with puns. It's like trying to tell a pun to a kleptomaniac because they take everything literally. <laughs> you know, the, the people up or down south, wherever they are, definitely have the better sense of humor. But... But actually, all kidding aside, the camping trip and the people being sent out from this church is a very helpful illustration for us to to what it means to live as God's people in exile or displaced. We've been seeing this through the last seven weeks as we've gone through the study of Esther, as we've studied Daniel in VBS, as Angel shared last week from the book of Ezekiel. And this morning, as we look at the words from prophet Jeremiah, there is this understanding that each of us, as Christians, will experience what it is like to be in exile. This is involving the sense that we will be living among people who have a different language, a different set of beliefs, a different set of values than what we have. Now, for the 200 people uh, down at the campground, they have to get used to things like fraps being called cabinets, sprinkles being called jimmies, and instead of having milk in their coffee, they have to drink coffee in their milk. All these are obviously minor compared to what the Israelites would have experienced during the Babylon captivity. But this morning, I want to look at a passage, as Adam said, from Jeremiah 29 which provides specific instructions to those exiles at that time. And I also believe that it provides some helpful insight to us as we begin to understand what God has called us to be. Wherever we find ourselves, God is already there. 
So if you have not already, please turn to Jeremiah 29, and we'll be looking at the first nine verses. Jeremiah 29, verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Judah. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name, I did not send them, declares the Lord. As we approach God's holy word this morning, please join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you provide for us a word that is living and active. We thank you for ways that we see in words that were written thousands of years before how they still are very relevant and applicable to what we face today. And so we pray that as we begin to understand what it means to be an exile, that we would seek to honor you in all that we do and say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the entire book of Jeremiah deals with the captivity and exile of the Israelites under the Babylonian rule. And Jeremiah, in the first couple chapters, calls the people to repentance. But when they fail to return to the Lord, he then is starting to... Uh, affirm to them that they will be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And this took place in three phases. And when Jeremiah is writing, he is writing between the first and the second phase, for he finds himself still in Jerusalem, writing to those who are already been taken to Babylon. And the purpose for taking the Israelites to Babylon was for assimilation. For the Babylonians understood how important faith was to the Israelites. And they felt that the only way that they could take that away from them was to expose them to their own political and cultural and religious symbols. And so Jeremiah is writing to one, encourage the people, but he's always also writing to refute the words of the false prophets who said, don't worry about this exile. It will be short-lived. Just try to struggle through it, and you'll be back in Jerusalem in no time. But Jeremiah knew through the words of the Lord that it was going to be a long haul. It was going to be 70 years. And so he felt that he had to reset the expectation for the people, that they had to understand while they're in Babylon how they should live. 
Now, the Christian life itself has often been called one of exile. We are called to, again, be countercultural. We are called to have different views and values than the people around us. And we also desire to be in a place where we know that the Lord reigns. But we know that that will not take place until Jesus returns. But this morning what I want to do is I want to look at three truths that I believe that Jeremiah passed on to the people in Israel. And I believe that these are helpful for us that would help us shape our worldview. We're going to look at God's plans, our purpose, and his promise. God's plan, our purpose, and his promise. First we'll look at God's plan. For the Israelites who were captured, taken away from their homes, and brought to a foreign land by their enemy. It was probably difficult for them to even begin to see God's plan in these events. From a human perspective, the first two verses of chapter 29 represented their understanding. They were carried into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. But in verse 4 and again in verse 7, Jeremiah gives them a different perspective. For it says it was God who sent them into exile. In fact, in the NIV, it says God carried them into exile. This was not a stuff happens moment, but instead part of God's divine plan. Jeremiah's message to the exiles was even though you're in a place where you don't want to be, God knows where he placed you and God knows what you will need there. Jeremiah wanted the people to stop seeing their location and their situation as the result of an evil king, but instead to see this as something that God is going to use for their benefit, to change them, to make them a change agent for those around them. So rather than longing for the past or wishing for a different present, Jeremiah called them to live as God's people where they found themselves. God's sovereign plan always happens, even when stuff doesn't. I've always found that as I struggled with understanding what God has done in my life and seeing the various activities that have come across my path, that the words from Job 42 have really helped to ground me. For in it, the Lord says, or sorry, Job says to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I don't know how many of you recognize the image on the sermon slide earlier, but this image represents all the households of members and uh, regular attendees at MCC. And so we can begin to think about this, that this represents the church scattered, this represents what it means for us to live on mission. Now, for some of you, you may say, I wished I I lived in a place that was a little bit quieter, a little bit safer, a little bit larger, a little bit closer to our activities. But really, much like the exiles, you need to begin to understand that God has specifically placed you where he is. And the same is true for our workplaces and school. God has placed you specifically where you are God has uniquely gifted you because he is already in work there and has called you to work beside him. 
I wonder what it would be like if instead of us looking at things that come across each day in our lives as simple activities that that happen, bad luck, um, poor circumstances, if we started looking at more through the lens a part of God's sovereignty, God's divine plan, that he is orchestrating everything that takes place, every encounter that you have, suddenly it'd make us sit up and pay attention a little bit more. We'd, we'd begin to understand that God does not waste any moment, any activity, but he calls us to be used by him in each of those situations. Wherever you find yourself, God is already there. But why has God placed you where he has? And what is the purpose? Which brings us to the second point, our purpose. Now starting in verse 5, Jeremiah gives the Israelites specific instructions on how to live in exile. Build houses and live in them, plant gardens, start a family. Basically, continue with life. No longer should they see themselves as victims or prisoners of war, but instead they see themselves on mission where God has planted them. This is not a cruel twist of fate, but God's plan has placed them right where he wants them. If you think of it in the context of Esther, uh, Mordecai's words to Esther were for a time such as this, this is the equivalent for a place such as this. And that is what we need to understand in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, that God has placed us here for such a time as this. Those of us who have ever spent or, or traveled with young children are familiar with the question, are we there yet? For children, as they are on a journey, just want to get to the end. They have no appreciation of what is taking place or, or coming in view around them. And I think the same is true for us. We always want to get past whatever stage we're in. We're always discontent with what we have, and we're always thinking about it'll be so much easier when the kids are older and they can stay home with babysitters, or the kids are out of the house or we're able to, to move to somewhere nicer, somewhere warmer, or we're able to retire, or we're able to be home with the Lord, there's always this continuation of these thoughts that there's a place that we'd rather be in. And what Jeremiah is saying to the people is don't start looking at this just as a stop along the way, but to begin to understand that this is important. And the Lord is using this time to not only change you, but to use you to change others. About nine years ago in July, this church was struck by lightning. And through it, there was this temptation to get quickly back to normal as soon as possible. There was this New England resiliency that, that said that we need to make it appear that we're not bothered or we're not changed at all by it. But fortunately, through the grace of God and the wisdom of the leadership here, we decided to step back and say, let's see what God is doing here. And we went on exile. We were 18 months out of this building. We were in tents. We were in high schools. We were apart from where we were familiar. But through that, the Lord not only changed us, 
but he blessed us. And a lot of the results of the healthy church you see today, and we continue to grow. But there's so many times in our lives that we try to apply New England resiliency, that we just want to make sure that we get through and and return to normal. But I encourage you not to do that. I encourage you whenever God puts something in your path, that you step back and you start to consider what is God using this for? What is God wanting to change me or teach me through this? Or how does God want to use me in this situation to bring glory to him? We are not there yet. We will not be there yet until we're with the Lord. But until that point, we need to live every day with purpose and meaning and not look beyond our present circumstances. This is not to say that you're always going to be happy about the journey. But if you keep your eyes open, if you stay focused on the moment instead of the destination, then what you'll be amazed to see is the way that the Lord is providing in small ways, the way that the Lord is bringing people into your life that can encourage you and help you, the way that he is going to be using that so that you can bring glory to him in another time. But Jeremiah to the exiles is saying, do not just get by, but instead to invest where you are. In verse 7, he says, seek the welfare of the city. That's the word shalom that can mean peace. It's an all-encompassing word. It's basically saying, try to make sure that you make your neighborhood, your workplace, your school a better place because of your presence there. Tim Keller talks about the the role that we have as exiles as one of an ambassador, that we need to be bilingual, that we certainly need to know what the Lord teaches, but we need to also understand the language of the culture we're in. We have to obviously appreciate the country that we're from, but we also need to be sensitive to those in the place that we find ourselves in a foreign land, but that we never forget to represent the values and the interests of our home, which is with the Lord. But he goes even further, which must have been very aggravating for the Israelites, because not only does he want them to seek the peace, not only does he want them to settle down and invest in where they are, but he wants to pray for the people around them. Now here's the Israelites, right? They've just been taken captive by their mortal enemy. And what God says is, I want you to pray for those people. Come on, that can't be really what God wants us to do, right? I mean, how could God expect any of us, while we're suffering, to pray for those around us who are causing us harm? Now we only have to look further than the cross where Jesus, as he's looking down at those who crucified him, said, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they do. I'm wondering if we started to change the way that we looked at our neighborhoods, that we don't think of the people around us as the guy with the loud truck 
or the guy that's always using the leaf blower at 7 in the morning or the kids who are always running across my lawn. But we begin to look at those as people that we're called to pray for. And I would encourage you, as you can, to begin to look at the neighbors around you. Become familiar with, with them, with their, their situation, so that you can begin to specifically pray for them. One of the things that I learned in the corporate world when, when I was really frustrated with somebody or I just had this sense of, of bitterness or, or animosity against someone, that there's nothing more convicting than to start praying for them. And I'm not saying that it always will work to change their heart, but I can testify that it will work to change your heart and your attitude toward those people around us. The Lord may not always tell us why he does things, but when he puts us in these situations, he provides whatever we need. For wherever we find ourselves, God is already there. Did he leave the people in exile? Did he not provide any hope for these people? Well, he provides us with a promise, which is our third point, his promise. Now, as Adam pointed out, a lot of us want to go immediately to Jeremiah 29, 11. And I will address that later, I promise. But one of the things that we have a tendency to do, just like that car ride with the little kids, is we jump over the first 10 verses to get to 11. And we don't understand the context by which verse 11 was given. Verse 11 was given as an indication of hope for those who are going through a difficult time, for those who are in a place where they didn't want to be, for those who are in a time of uncertainty, where they didn't understand what the Lord was doing. And so I, I, want, to under, I want you to understand that, that God's promises are true, that God is faithful in every situation. But I want you to also understand how God uses difficult things in our lives. He does not do that just to punish us. He does not do that to push us away. He does that for us to be able to be more and more dependent upon him, for us to realize how much we can rely on him. And it takes us away from our me-centered attitude and instead begin to focus on what he has done for us and what he will continue to do for us if we are faithful. Verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Again, I'm sure this is a life verse for some of you, and I'm sure it is something that has helped you through very difficult times. But also understand that there are times where you're not going to see the Lord actively working. Much like we saw through the book of Esther, there's going to be times where you cannot see any evidence of the Lord active in your life. But he is there just as much as he is in verse 11. And I would encourage you to always understand that, that he will never leave you or forsake you no matter what you find yourself in. Being in exile is basically being where we don't want to be, whether it's a stage of life, a location, a health status, 
or relationship. And God does not always, again, send us into exile as a result of sin. Sometimes it is a way that he affirms to us that, child, you don't have to carry this burden alone. I want you to be able to depend on me. I want you to be able to understand that I am able to provide for all of your needs, whether you can see that today or not. So whether you're dealing with failing health or a fractured relationship or overstretched finances or just overwhelmed by life itself, God knows what he's doing. He knows the pain of your heart. He knows you feel overwhelmed, overloaded, and pressed down. But know that he is touched with your situation and he is working toward it according to his plan. Eugene Peterson said this as far as being in exile. Exile reveals what really matters and frees us to pursue what really matters, which is to seek the Lord with all our heart. Now, we didn't leave the exiles in Rhode Island on their own. We can take hope that the fact that the smallest state has the shortest motto. Does anybody know what it is? It is hope. One word, hope, with an anchor next to it. Which again, not knowing that they would probably understand it, but it was probably based on Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus was an exile. Jesus was one who was displaced from his home. He was one who was sent to live among people who did not appreciate him. And he continued to be faithful to what the Father called him to do in midst of great suffering. And so as we understand our roles as exiles, we can look to the cross. We can look to Jesus' sacrifice. We can understand that through his death and resurrection, he changed the world. And now we are called to also help change the world in whatever culture, in whatever neighborhood, whatever workplace, whatever school we find ourselves. This is beautiful. It's like <laughs> the, the heavens have opened up and the angels are singing. But later in Jeremiah 31, we have these words. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Brothers and sisters, please understand that wherever you find yourself, God is already there. For joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my
washing all my shit.